Hi, this is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. We're right in the middle of a sermon series on Paul's letter to the Galatians called No Other Gospel. And today we come to Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 20. It's a longer passage today. So please open your Bible or open your Bible app to Galatians chapter 4. As was mentioned, uh, and we mention often, we encourage everyone to bring a Bible to church with you so that you can read the text in your own Bible, make notes in the margin, and underline words or phrases that are important to you. So let me read the text aloud as you follow along in your Bible or your Bible app this morning. Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. Paul writes, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you've come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Let me pause there for just a second and say that the slavery that the Galatians are in danger of embracing is not just a matter of of giving up on their sonship, forfeiting sonship, but rather of abandoning the only true God. And Paul tries to underscore that. They would be returning to false gods. Verse 8. To, to worldly structures and principles, verses 9 and 10. And it would be as if Paul hadn't even preached the gospel to them at all, verse 11. And so now he goes on to remind them of, of what happened when they heard the gospel. And, and also he contrasts his own ministry to that of the ministry of these false teachers who had invaded Galatia from Jerusalem. And he says in verse 12, Brothers, I entreat you, I plead with you, I beg you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you. Speaking about the the false teachers from Jerusalem who'd come to Galatia. They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It's always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I'm present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. (laughs) It's hard to do the scripture justice when you're trying to read it and, in a sense, verbally interpret it, but the sense is he's just beside himself. He can't understand why these idiots are behaving the way they are. In the BBC television reality show called Monastery, a group of five men from diverse backgrounds 
voluntarily join a Benedictine monastery for a period of 40 days. The five men don't have to agree to any Christian beliefs whatsoever, uh, according to the parameters of the show, but they have to respect and follow the monk's communal rhythm uh, requirements, a strict rhythm of meals and prayer and silence and so on. Well, (laughs) one of the the stories in the show... uh, focuses on a guy named Tony, who just happens to be a a producer of softcore pornography. But here he is in this monastery, rubbing shoulders with these uh, monastic monks. After some time in the monastery, Tony feels, he feels torn. Uh, He doesn't really want to give up his day job as a softcore pornography producer, but he also doesn't want to give up the peace that he has all of a sudden discovered being part of this monastery. So, so he's, he, he's betwixt and between. And with just two days left of the 40 days, just two days left on day 38, he goes and speaks to one of the monks whom they call Brother Francis. Tony is not really sure who he is anymore. You know, he, he's like, he's, he's really more than lost now. And he's trying to find himself. He's searching for a new identity. So after listening to Tony pour out his heart, Brother Francis puts his hand on Tony's head and speaks words of blessing to to him. Immediately after this exchange, the camera pans to a shot of Tony sitting outside on a bench, hunched over, and he's absolutely affected by these words spoken over him by Brother Francis, these, these fatherly words of wisdom and hope. Well, an author by the name of John Sower comments on this particular scene in the, in the television series called Monastery. And he says, I believe Brother Francis speaks to the heart of the fatherless generation. These are the sons and daughters, he says, who are searching for who they really are. And earlier in the book, uh, Sower says... We are a generation seriously searching for dad. Fatherlessness has become the new cultural norm. This story is being written into the lives of my generation. A story that can be heard in our songs, seen in our movies, read in our blogs. A story of grief and pain, of loneliness and rejection. A story that desperately needs to be heard. We are a generation seriously searching for for dad. Don't you dare try and tell me that fathers abandoning their families make no impact on their kids. Don't you dare try and tell me that kids bounce back from divorce and they'll be okay. They're resilient. Don't don't you dare try and tell me that in light of this fatherless generation that we have, in light of hundreds of thousands of children every year who are on a search for meaning and purpose in life. And one of the primary ingredients is that they have a father who abandoned them or a father who left them or a father who rejected them. We are a generation seriously searching for dad. But we heard last Sunday from a guest preacher by the name of Phil Sieben Morgan that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son so that we might receive, what? Adoption as sons. 
And because you are sons, Paul says, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you're a son, then you're an heir through God. Every true believer in Jesus Christ enjoys the blessing of sonship. We have a father. We have a dad. We have an identity. We know whose we are. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. We have that identity deep, deeply rooted within us. We know who we are because God the Father sent His Son Jesus to redeem us so that we might receive adoption and become part of the forever family of God. We become children of God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And because we, we step into that personal relationship with God uh, through faith, Paul says in Galatians 4.6, we get to call Him Daddy, Abba, Father. That's, that's the, the term Abba, Father, actually conveys that kind of personal connection, personal intimacy with God. He is like our Dad. And then, beginning in verse 8, Paul gives us these characteristics that identify a true child of God. We, we are adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God. We enter into this intimate relationship with God the Father, the, the righteous, holy uh, creator of the universe and master of our lives, who we get to call Dad. Paul writes about these characteristics that identify the true children of God. What are they? A child of God is, first of all, someone who knows the freedom of God's grace. To put it even more simply, a, a genuine Christian is someone who knows God. That's what he says in verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or more precisely, to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? I don't get it. <laughs> so there was a time when these Galatians did not know God. Instead, they worshipped pagan gods and pagan goddesses. Some of them were into astrology and reading the signs of the zodiac. Others worshipped deities connected to ancient Greece. And, and we don't do that much anymore. You don't see signs of that too much in our culture anymore. But you do find people bowing down at the altar of sports or career or cars or money or retirement or even family. Putting family before God. Putting career before God. Isn't that idolatry? And, and back then, because demonic forces were, were at work, uh, bowing down to these false gods brought on intense spiritual bondage. And not much has changed in 2,000 years. It still brings spiritual bondage when we give things and created things the place that only belongs to God. But then, all, then these Galatians came to know Jesus through the preaching of God's free grace. They came to know Christ, and they were born again by the Spirit of God through faith. And therefore, a child of God is someone who is known by God and comes to know God through the working of God's free grace. 
And so if you truly know God, and you're truly known by God, and you've come to faith in Jesus Christ through the grace of God, why in the world would you turn back to the weak and worthless principles of the world? Why would you turn again to alcohol, or drugs, or sexual impurity, or gossip, or greed? If you do that, you just become slaves all over again. You can almost hear Paul pleading with his readers, can't you? Like, he's going, come on, people. What is wrong with you? Why are you turning back now? There's a second characteristic. A child of God is someone who loves the Father's instruction. So to be a true child of God is to find enjoyment in the instruction that comes from the Word of God. To really enjoy God's Word and what it has to teach us. Even when it cuts and bruises us at times, we still find enjoyment. We, we love the instruction that comes from the Father. So we have a look at verses 12 through 16. Paul writes, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things, for I have become like you Gentiles, free from those laws. Paul has abandoned his own efforts at righteousness, and he's received the free grace of God in Christ Jesus. And now he calls on the Gentiles to, to adopt the same spiritual stance. Love the Word of God. Love the Word of God that was preached to you. And live in freedom by becoming a slave of the gospel. You know, he's basically saying, you know, I'm, I'm free from these laws of the Old Testament that are so restricting, and, and now I've become free to be a slave in Christ. So you're set free from slavery to unrighteousness so that you can become a slave of righteousness. He goes on to say at the end of verse 12, You did not mistreat me when I first preached to you. Surely you remember that I was sick when I first brought you the good news. But even though my condition tempted you to reject me, you did not despise me or turn me away. No, you took me in and cared for me as though I were an angel from God or even Christ Jesus himself. Now, uh, physical trouble or physical illness was often considered by both Jews and Gentiles to be a, a form of God's judgment. And so that's why he's, he's trying to explain here. They, they, were, they may have been tempted to reject him because of his physical condition, uh, but rather the Galatians look beyond that. They look uh, past Paul's outward condition of his illness, and we're not sure what his illness was. Uh, we're not exactly sure. And they received him as God's messenger. Why? Because they were eager to hear the word of God coming from him. They wanted to hear him preach the grace and, and goodness of God. And the word angel also means messenger. He said, you looked at me, you, you cared for me as, as though I were an angel. The word angel means messenger. So angels were messengers of God that, that, that communicated God's heart to, to his people and, and cared for his people. So these, these messengers, these angelos, were really considered angels. The word angel means messenger, and so they regarded him as a messenger from God because they were eager to hear the instruction coming from Paul, and they, they wanted to hear from God. And so Paul asks them, verse 15, Where is that joyful and grateful spirit you felt then? Do you remember the time in your life 
when you were just so eager to hear the Word of God that you actually arrived for Sunday service on time? Do do you remember that? That was a long time ago. (laughs) I'm just kidding. There was such joy, such eagerness, such a desire, such longing. What happened, he said? Where is that joyful and grateful spirit you had back then? Where is it? What happened? I'm sure you would have taken out your own eyes and given them to me if it had been possible. Have I now become your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? There's so many, People don't like it when you tell them the truth. You know, as long as you tell them what they want to hear, they're, they're your best friend. As soon as you turn around and start telling the truth, or worse, open the Bible and read verses from the Scripture that convict them of sin, they don't like you anymore. Have I become your enemy because I'm telling you the truth, Paul says? What's up with that? And so Paul says they received the Word of God uh, initially with such joy that they would have gouged out their eyes. Well, obviously... It's a figure of speech. He's exaggerating, hyperbole. But it underscores just how eager they they were to hear and obey the Word of God. Oh, God, that you'd give us that desire today. Oh, that you would fill the church of Jesus Christ with a desire and a longing and a love for the Word of God. That we not only hear it, but do it. Do you love the Father's instruction? That comes from the Word? I mean, do you love it? So how does that play out in your life? Are you, are you reading the Bible and spending time in prayer? And are you reflecting on what you're learning and what God is teaching you? Are you sharing that with other people? Are you loving God and His people? Are you, are you growing in your faith? Are you serving in His church? That brings us to the final characteristic. A child of of God is someone who experiences genuine gospel transformation. If you had to guess what genuine gospel transformation is, what might you say? Paul says in Galatians 4.19, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, it's always interesting to read that coming from the pen of a man. Isn't it? I mean, seriously. How would you know what the pains of childbirth are? And he's single besides. He's not even married, you know. Hasn't even, hasn't even stood at the bedside of his wife rubbing her back for five hours as she experiences back labor, you know. He has no idea. But maybe he's heard a fair bit about it. I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. Well, here's verse 19 in the New Living Translation. It says, Oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. So Paul is expressing deep emotional anguish because these people are really not growing the way they should be growing as Christians. If Paul was writing to you today, would he have to use the same language? 
Paul expresses this deep emotion because some of them have have already given in to the temptation to turn away from the gospel that Paul preached to embrace some of these these, uh, false teachings that came from the Judaizers who came from Jerusalem to Galatia to, to, to insist that these people... Although they had faith in Jesus Christ, they they came insisting that they also had to be circumcised. They also had to follow the Old Testament laws and rituals. Some of them had been tempted to turn away from the gospel and embrace that false teaching. But a child of God, Paul says, a child of God is someone who experiences genuine gospel transformation. And it's progressive. It's a progressive transformation that occurs in our lives only as Christ is formed in us. That is the key. It's not based on the number of times you go to church in a month or the number of verses that you read in the morning or how much time you spend on your knees. It's not based on the length of your hair, whether you wear blue jeans and a sport shirt or a suit and tie. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with Christ being formed in us. Wow. A true child of God is someone who's, who's growing in their faith, and it shows. So, so would you say this morning, I know you haven't had a lot of time to think about it, but would you say that Christ is being formed in you? Are you on the way to, to having Christ Uh, fully developed in your life? Do you look more like a child of God today than you did six weeks ago or, or six months ago or six years ago? Are you experiencing progressive gospel transformation? And what does, what does that look, how does that happen? How is Christ formed in us? How is Christ fully developed in us. Under what circumstances and what conditions does that occur? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> I think it happens by faith. If you just go back a page or two to Galatians chapter 3, And verse 5, you will read this. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? It's quite obviously not by works of the law. (laughs) That's what the entire book of Galatians has been about. In other words, the ongoing supply of the Spirit of Christ and His miraculous work of gospel transformation in our lives happens by faith. If you're anything like me, you, you know... Your, your first answer to that question, how does this happen? How, how is Christ formed in us? If you're anything like me, you went right away to daily devotions, scripture memory, uh, meditation, uh, prayer, 
uh, uh, right? Isn't that where your, your mind initially goes? And Paul says, you know what? At the core of all of this is faith. It has to be by faith. It has to be by faith. Maybe these other things will be, will, will be added or practiced, but it has to be by faith. faith. Faith has to be the foundation of this gospel transformation in our lives. Otherwise, it's just another religion of works. It's just doing all these good things. And if it's not by faith, with faith, with a heart full of faith, it's no good at all. We're born again by grace, through faith in Christ. And then in response to the faith that we express, He who supplies the Spirit and He who works miracles in our lives by faith begins to mold us and shape us from within as we rely on Him to mold us and shape us from within. Does that make sense? The Son of God takes shape in those who abandon themselves to Him. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, forms Himself in the lives of those who will simply let go of the misguided notion that they can do it on their own. I, 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 have, a, I have a beautiful three-year-old granddaughter named Isla. And, and she's taken to, to this, this uh, habit of saying to me, I can do it, Grandpa. I can do, it doesn't matter what it is. I can do it, Grandpa. I said, okay. Knock yourself out. And in about 30 seconds, she said, help me, Grandpa. <laughs> Christ forms himself in the lives of those who give up on this Misguided notion that they can do it themselves. You can't. Christ takes shape in a life that's willing to become putty in God's hands. People who say, I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by, what's the word? Faith. And the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. That's how it happens. That's how Christ is formed in us. Christ presses the shape of His face into the clay of our soul when we soften and cease to be hard and resistant. He presses His face, His very image, into the clay of our soul so we become more like Jesus, and we've been able to think and act and speak and respond like Jesus. When we welcome Him by faith to mold us and shape us after His will and not ours. I don't know about you, but my will often gets in the way. Every once in a while. At least once an hour. <laughs> and, and, and your life cannot get shaped into the image of Christ until and unless you experience genuine gospel transformation. Until and unless your heart is wide open to the life-changing work of the Spirit of Christ. Until and unless you respond in faith to the Word of God and the Spirit of God.
Are you ready to do that? All to Jesus, I surrender. All, all to Him, I freely give. Is that the cry of your heart this morning? Let's pray together. Dear Father, we are children of God. You are our Father. and You've lavished your love on us. Thank you. We don't deserve it. But we get to call you Abba, Father, because we're part of your family forever. Oh, Father, why, why would any Christian want to become a slave again when they have been adopted by God and given full access to all that the Father has to offer? That is perplexing and confusing and baffling. We're not pointing the finger this morning in prayer because all we have to do is look in the mirror and we see someone who is tempted regularly to give up, to go back, to throw in the towel. Father, today with great hope in our hearts, we're praying that the gospel will increasingly impact us and increasingly impact our families and our community and our church in the same way that it landed on the hearts of those who first heard it in Galatia. Oh, that Christ Jesus might be formed and fully developed in all of us by faith. And Lord, now that there's no condemnation hanging over us, may we welcome the convicting work of the Spirit within us. Indeed, Lord, may the love that you've lavished on us in Jesus expose and topple the idols of our hearts. May our, um, may our repentances be quicker and may our, our generosity be more cheerful and our choices increasingly gospelicious. Lord, we're looking to you for nothing less than gospel transformation in each of our lives and in our church. And lastly, Father, may the great hope that you've given us in Jesus deepen and lengthen and strengthen our endurance. Because it's not easy out there. It's kind of easy to live for Jesus in this building, but it's not so easy Monday to Friday, and we need your endurance and your strength. So may there be more worship and less fear, more obedience and less bondage. And this we pray in the strong name of our matchless Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.